0: All right, very good. And you can turn in your Bibles tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 30. We are in, again, the heart of the drama. And we did one of those to be continued moments last week. David, at one of the darkest crisis points of his life, both he and King Saul, Actually, um, and if you think about this, where David was last week, as he looks at the smoldering ruins of what was their their hideout town, Ziklag, everything's gone, people gone, belongings gone, no idea yet really what has happened, and I don't think we blame David for just kind of at least desiring to, or maybe just throwing in the towel, just saying, I've had it. I'm done. Uh, Months, probably years of being on the run from a king that he just wanted to loyally serve, right? His own people betraying him, giving him up to, to Saul, God's protection, obviously. Then finally, looking at the situation for the security of his family and his troops and protection, he decides it's time to go over to the enemy side. And in my interpretation, some people think he shouldn't have done this. I think um, this was in keeping with uh, wisdom that he sought out, although uh, it's not specifically mentioned. Uh, The Bible doesn't mention every time that that David sought out God's help. But I think is a general pattern at this point, and it made sense. Um, David was able to fulfill his family obligations, his obligations to, the milit- to, his, to his army, to his friends, and wow. to his God by stealthily, um, covertly uh, continuing to destroy Israel's enemies while making the Philistines think that he was on their side. And literally thinking, making King Achish think that he was so loyal to him that King Achish made him his, in effect, his bodyguard. Um, And so, uh, and we're going to see tonight how this continued to work in David's favor. But I don't think, but God didn't want David to get too impressed or too comfortable in his own cunning, in his own ability to be deceitful and to be cunning in war and things of that against his enemies. And so King Achish comes to David, I think, prodded by God says, David, you're doing such a good job. We're going to war against the against Israel and you're going to go with me as my main guy. And David, of course, says, well, you will see what I can do. <laughs> Very generic. But the other, remember, the other uh, lords, the Philistine lords, didn't think that was a good idea. As they pointed out to King Achish, this guy could turn around in the middle of the battle and be against us. He could have, uh, uh, you know, a sudden revival of interest for his own people. And I think actually what they were concerned with, I think actually David was probably going to do that. I think in the midst of the battle, his plan was he and his men to turn around and also fight the Philistines, which is why when King Achish came back and said, David, I'm really sorry to tell you this. I'm really, I think you, you could have done a great job, but the other guys, I just don't get it. You know how loyal you are to me. Actually, King Achish really didn't understand. Was more naive than them all, and he sends David back. And so David and his men, probably with relief, head back. But they head back to their town in a smoldering, smoldering ruin, like I just said. Um, and you can imagine these these men that were so faithful to him, that mighty men of valor, as they're described um, in the Chronicles, it counts to be Chronicles that have performed mighty deeds, very loyal to David, but they see their town, their belongings destroyed, their families just gone. And even the most loyal people are ready to stone David. They're done with him. Maybe there was a few of them that said in the first place, David, I'm not so sure we should align ourselves with the Philistines. And I'm certainly not so sure that we should go to battle. And so now they come back and said, see, we told you we shouldn't have done this. Who knows? We're not told for sure. But they're upset. So, folks, again, what do you do when you've literally lost everything, even your best friends turn against you, your family's gone? What do you do? Probably a lot of us are tempted to panic. We can understand with all that David had been through on the run, having to fight with or seemingly ally himself with the enemies that David at this point would just say, Lord, I've been trying to do everything and be faithful And this is the thanks I get. I'm just done. These guys are trying to kill me. I'm I'm just taking off and I'm going to be a hermit for the rest of my life. And yet David doesn't do that. Those beautiful words. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Chapter 30, verse 6. Let's read that verse again. David was greatly distressed. Certainly he was. He's human. And as any of us would be, we would be anxious, concerned wants to know where his wives and his kids are. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. A lot of emotion in this phrase, in this verse. But in the midst of all that emotion and anger, David strengthened himself in his God. Strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. What did that look like? Well, we're not told, but I think from what we can certainly tell from the Psalms, that it would have involved remembering God's word. I'm, I'm convinced of that David knew the Torah. He knew God's law. He knew God's word well, it seems. Um, he strengthened himself and he meditated on the truths of who God was. I'm certain that was a part of it. And he talked to God. I'm sure he prayed to God. All of this strengthening, not just trying to talk himself up into some sort of positive attitude. That's not at all what's involved here. When you're this low, there's no talking yourself into some kind of positive attitude. Just look on the bright side. There is no bright side from man's perspective. But David goes to the Lord and meditates on him, prays, and then David is ready to get to work. What would you do next? Well, you try to figure out who did this. And David's planning on doing that. But before he does that, he's going to check with God to make sure that this is what God wants him to do. And I think this is an established pattern with David at this point. So David, verse 7, David asked, requested Avathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech. Remember the one that ran away as the town of Nob was destroyed and the priests were wiped out. Ahimelech was wiped out. Avathar was the only priest that was left. As Saul cut himself off from communication with God, David benefited now from having a priest in his midst. And he said, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David. Remember, the ephod is the priestly breastplate garment, which, from what we can tell, housed those two almost dice-like, those uh, stones, the Urim and the Thummim. And and somehow, with those stones, the priest was able to... um, figure or or able to tell whether God approved or disapproved of something. It was certainly one way that the men of God, the people of God had to inquire of the Lord. That's probably what is going on here. Brings the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord. Maybe David here took the two stones in his own hands. Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? Now, David, I don't think still knows yet who did this. He has no clue. So God, we're going to go after these guys. Shouldn't we do this? And God made it clear somehow through the, again, through these stones. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. And with a promise like that, David doesn't need to hear that twice. And so they set out on their way. They've got the, the commitment, the promise of God. They, uh, God gives them a clear promise. David, you're going to succeed. You're going to find these folks. You're going to reclaim everything. Boy, what relief that had to be for David in the midst of this. And to be able to go back to his men, say, men, God's told me he's going to uh, fight for us. He's going to give us back everything. We're going to take care of the situation. What a sense of relief David must have had. But at the same time, he still has no idea how any of this is going to take place. But they set out. With the promise of God only. And that's enough. And David set out, verse 9, and 600 men who were with him, remember there's 600, a uh, formidable fighting force at this point. And they came to the brook Basor, where those who were left behind stayed. There are some that just can't go any further. And, for, and verse 10 explains this more. But David pursued, he and 400 men. They're down to 400. 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bezor. Well, these guys just kind of wimps. They just can't handle um, the strain of, of war. Now, remember, these men have already traveled miles and miles to go all the way north where they were supposed to fight the battle. They get sent home. They travel miles and miles back. And then the emotional toll of the loss, they were just 200 of these guys were just wiped out. They couldn't go any further. And we, we can understand that. So we're going to find out later. Uh, David, they leave a lot of their baggage with them. They lighten their load. And they leave with these men and say, keep an eye on this. We're going to continue to find the enemy and pursue them. And David pursues. Now, I find this very interesting. Verse 11. They found an Egyptian in open country and brought him to David and they gave him bread, and he ate. Now, in the midst of all that David has gone through, right, um, if, if this had happened to you, you've lost everything. God says, pursue, and I'm going to give you back everything you've lost. And So you are intent. You're, you're a good leader like David, type A personality, something along that line. You normally don't have a lot of time to stop and um, or be aware of people in need around you because you're so focused on getting your family back and and saving your family and and your belongings and yet David takes time just from what we can tell on this narrative just to be a good Samaritan here they find this man they have no idea who this guy is they don't even know that he's an Egyptian but they find this guy who's just out in the desert in the open country He's obviously, he must have been close to death. And they bring him to David. David, look, we found this, this guy just laying out in the desert. is strange? And David doesn't say, oh, we don't have time for this guy. Just, we're, he's just going to have to do the best he can. We, we've got to save our families. No. David takes time to take care of this man who he doesn't even know and who was at the brink of death. They gave him bread and he ate. They gave him just a little bit. Notice the care that they gave here. gave him a little bit of food to make sure that he can handle that. He ate. Then they gave him water to drink, make sure that he can drink. And then they give him a feast. They gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. Once they realized that he actually was alive and that he was very hungry, okay, guys, feed him. I mean, they treat this guy like an honored guest, and they don't even know him. It just shows the compassion of David's heart in the midst of what we would all agree, a very serious situation. He takes time to take care of strangers. And you've heard this before, but what is a mark of your character when you're willing to take care and you're willing to help people who have no way to help you in return? You've heard that before, right? Folks, it's true um if, if you have it is a mark of good character when you're willing to take care and help people who you know can really can't benefit you in return now god's going to turn this around and surprise david this man's actually going to be very helpful for him but david doesn't know that and i just find this remarkable in the midst of all that's going on here david stopped to help this man and when he had eaten his spirit revived And he had not for he had not eaten. Now we get the full story bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. No wonder he was hungry and thirsty. And so once he's able, he has a strength to communicate again. David, of course, wants to know about him. David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? Tell us your story, stranger. And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. Oh, interesting. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. Now, David, this still doesn't tell David who did this deed, but there's a stark contrast here, right? These pagan enemy people, they use people for their own ends. And then when they're done with them, they just throw them away. And it's just another um, sign of the enemy of the Amalekites and their lack of concern for people. Use them up, throw them away. This guy was a slave that they had overcome in Egypt. They brought him along. And when he couldn't do his work any longer, when he wasn't useful to them, they just left him to die in the desert. Exact opposite of David, who shows kindness to strangers. Notice the the contrast there. So, interesting. And then he continues on. Now he gives them some very insightful information. We, the Amalekites, had made a raid against the Negeb of the Cherethites, and against that which belongs to Judah, and against the Negeb of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. This man says, at least they're equal opportunity thieves. They steal from the Philistines. They steal from the people of Judah. They steal from the Israelites. And finally, he makes it clear, oh, yeah, there was this little town of Zikwak that we went ahead and, and my master burned, the Amalekites burned. And now David knows. So David, because of his kindness, now has valuable intel and a guide to lead them to the enemy. And, of course, David said to him, oh, will you take me down to this band? And the man, he's being wary here. He doesn't want to lose his life. He says, swear to me by God, give me an oath by your God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. All right. His promise of protection is more than enough for this abandoned man to provide the help they need. Now they have the advantage. And just like that, through a kind act folks uh, let's let's always be willing to if at all possible just to show kindness you never know how god's going to use it you never know how god may benefit you Um, not that that's the main reason that we should be kind to people but even that verse we never know when we might entertain angels unaware kindness goes a long way for christian testimony honestly i think uh our christian testimony today in this world today would be even um less tarnished if more christians would just had the basics of kindness and um thankfully as far as i could tell our church family does and i'm glad for that but there's a lot of cranky christians out there and we need more kindness shown to people it can be a huge testimony so david now has the advantage in the upper hand now he knows who these guys were that did this, and he knows what who they're looking for, and he knows God's going to give them the victory, and so all of this is going toward obviously a good ending here. And verse sixteen, and when he had taken him down, um, so this sir, this this slave, the Egyptian slave of the Amalekites, takes them to where he knows the Amalekites are, or guesses in, in the in the direction, and behold, they found the Amalekites. And they were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Equal opportunity marauders. Take it from the Philistines. Take it from the Israelites. And uh, they they are caught in a very vulnerable situation. They're spread out, number one. They're drunk and partying. And they're totally unaware of the men that are pursuing them. Now, from we we could say how foolish of them. But honestly, think of it from their perspective. They have been very successful. They have all of this spoil, all this wealth. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They figure, guys, this has been great. It's time to celebrate. There's nobody out here. We're going to have a good time and just celebrate our good luck. And so that's what they're doing. Makes sense. but. They're not counting on a um, future king with 400 men who has the power of the almighty God behind him. They're not counting on that at all. And so here, David, really, um, it's kind of a foregone conclusion, right? What's going to happen here? Can you imagine David coming over the hill and seeing all this as a man points out? There they are, the Amalekites, and David says, okay, guys, let's go at it. Let's go. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped. now except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. And I guess if you get on a camel, camels can go pretty fast. So you have 400 that were able to get away. But every other one of the Amalekites is wiped out. And listen to the extent of this victory. David and his men run in and they decimate the enemy. Really? And while retrieving, everything they lost and more. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. He rescued his family. He's got his wives and his kids back. That's the main thing. But nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters. Not one person has died that was captured spoil, or anything that had been taken. This victory is complete. It's 100% successful. David brought it all back, and David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. This is evidence that David was fully successful in this endeavor and against his enemies. God, and, and the author makes it clear here, right, in no uncertain terms, God gives David a complete and full victory, total victory by the author and the people with David. They're so excited, they're looking at the extras that David has and saying, this is David. He deserves this because um, he had a complete, full victory. He rescued us. They're so looking at him as a, a kind of savior, but there's also really the, the underlying um, emphasis under all of this is that David is successful, totally successful, because he depended on God, right? That is, he, he has been pictured throughout this whole thing. Talk to God, strengthening himself in God. So everybody reading this, and we understand this, the reason why God gives David overwhelming success is because he depended on God. And we can remember that, folks, when we're going through difficult things. Keep full dependence on God, and God will bring us through. And it is obvious what has happened with David. The future king who has a heart for God experiences total success. And in another aspect, did you think about this? He accomplished obedience with God and the Amalekites. He did a better job of obeying God with the Amalekites than Saul did. Remember, Saul left some alive. David doesn't do that. Well, okay, the guy's got to weigh in the camels. That wasn't David's fault. <laughs> but David is obedient in a way that Saul never was in this. And he's able to do this because of his dependence on God. But it doesn't end. Some more interesting details here that are really um, part of the picture here that need to be explained. Verse 21, Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Bezor. Come back. They've been successful. These guys that couldn't go any further, they come back to them, and they're excited to see them. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with them, There's more celebrating and reunions taking place. Their families are brought back to them. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. All of this is really good. But then you got some guys in David's army, some wicked and worthless fellows, selfish guys who can only see they've missed the whole point of all this. God's grace in the midst of this. This is all God's work. And yet they've turned this around and said, look, what a great job we did. Look, I mean, these guys all stayed behind, a bunch of slackers. But we went and we went with David and we had the victory, the exact opposite attitude. And folks, let's be careful. When God does give us victory, let's not turn it into something, an, an ugly opportunity for self-promotion or pride. What a horrible um, way to... Um, <laughs> Use your opportunity of God's blessing in your life. Don't ever turn it to a time for self-promotion like these guys did. This gets ugly. Who had gone with David and they said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered. But you know what? We'll let them have their wives and kids back. That ought to be enough. Well, that's really nice of them. So you get your families back and then you guys get out of here. David as you would imagine, wants none of that. He's whoa, whoa, guys, that's not right at all. Let me correct you here. David said, you shall not do so. This will not be what happens. I'm in charge here, my brothers. The same time he reminds them that they have this familial um relationship that they're all family that they that they're close in this way they've been through a lot together my brothers this is not what we're going to do why number one and look at david's again his wise reasoning here with what the lord has given us number one the lord's grace is the reason that we have all of these spoils It's all God, guys. It's not us. It's not me. It's not you. God has given this to us. It's his grace. So stop the self-promotion and the pride. It's not at all what what we're going to take opportunity to do here. Then number two, he says, God has preserved us. The Lord has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Number two, the most important aspects of what just happened, guys, are not that we have all these riches and this wealth, but there are two things, that God has kept us safe and God has given us complete, full victory over our enemy. Those are the two most important things, not all of our stuff. And so many times, again, can't we, when God blesses us, we tend to look at all the stuff that we get. Rather than look at what God has done and think, taking time to thank God, let's make sure, even when God blesses us with stuff, that that doesn't become our focal point. I mean, it's so easy to do. God provides us with a new vehicle or some new form of technology or some money that we needed to pay a debt, and we can get off and be so enamored by the stuff we forget to thank God for his graciousness. Don't do that. Even as we pray tonight, let's take some time and thank God for things that he's done for us as well. And so David, right on, on the money with this, and then he says, who would listen to you in this matter? The idea of you guys aren't legitimate in this, you're wrong. For And then he, he comes up, the third um, part of this, the reasonable expectation that David comes up with from this point on, he says, guys, I'm in charge here. This is what we're going to do. For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. So David says, this is what we're doing. Those who stay behind to protect the belongings are just as important as those who go out and fight the battle. They're going to have equal stake in the spoil, and this is going to be a regular operating procedure with my people from now on. and that's a good th- another wise thing to hear from somebody that's about to be king, right? Uh, David is very wise, given wisdom from God in this, and nobody argues with him in that. And so uh, David comes up a very good way to handle this, very fair uh, understanding way. well. They come back to their town, Ziklag, and David continues in this wise handling of things. And let's see verse 26, what he does. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoils to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. And it was for those in Bethel, quite a few cities here. Some of these, we think we know where they are today. Some of these, we honestly, we just don't know where they're located today. Um, it was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negeb, in Jatir, in Orer in Sifmoth, in Eshtemoah, in Rakal, in the cities of the jer uh, Milites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Horma, in Borshan, in um, Athak, and in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men roamed. Don't miss the wisdom in this. He contacts his kindred in Judah. And remember, these Amalekites have taken from the people of Judah, from the tribe of Judah, and from many of these towns. And David now says, guys, got a lot of your stuff. Have you seen this before? Would you like this back? And he gives them back many of the things that had been stolen from them, probably all the things, and then more on top of that. And he gives some to other um, kindred that live in other towns. And in these towns as well, if you study this, at least three or four of these towns are Levitical towns. That's where the Levites live. So it seems as well that in the midst of all this, we're just talking about giving to the Lord, right, and tithing. It does seem that um, apparent that David is doing some sort of tithe in giving these things to these Levitical cities. So he is giving to God and doing everything just right and he says, says there, for all the places where David and his men had roamed, he's covering his bases for the rest of these towns as a thank you. Hey, thank you for letting us hang or hide out around your area. Now, I don't know if he did this for those folks that gave him up to Saul, probably not. But for those that were loyal to him and helped him <laughs> hiding all those months, maybe years, he now um, thanks them with these gifts. And what is David doing? with the people certainly the people of judah his own tribe he's reestablishing, he's reconnecting with them he is um establishing good relationships with them wise things for a king to be doing who's about ready to become king and david is doing all these things this certainly would lift his favorability ratings with his own people wouldn't it and that's exactly what's going on here But don't forget, folks, the most important thing in all of this, as we close this on David's success here, is that God has given the success to David, his family, his armies, and David's people. Because of David's faithfulness and dependence, all of the people around David are blessed. Now, next week, we're going to see more about King Saul who is not depending upon God, who depended upon a wicked woman of Tekoa, a medium, um, and received one more ominous message from Samuel. We're going to see what happens to him next week and his family and the Israelites that are around him. It's going to be a different story, unfortunately. As we go to prayer, though, one application here, we might read this. And say, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want. If I'm faithful to God, then God gives me total success with financially and for my family and for my friends. Yeah, that's the kind of success that that I I want in this life. That's great, Lord. Sign me up. Is that what we should take from this ultimately? Remember what David had to go through to get to this point. (laughs) David had to go through a lot. And uh, God put him through a lot of tests. You know another person it reminds me of? Job. Job, in the, at the end of the book, received wonderful blessings, right? But look what he had to go through. So let's remember both sides of this, okay? And remember that whether God has us in the midst of very severe testing or whether he's about ready to bless us immeasurably, David was depending and faithful. He strengthened himself in the Lord before he ever knew what God was going to do. He trusted God. And that's where we need to be, folks. And if we're talking about victory, what what victory do we know that we can experience today as God's people? Well, we may not get all the wealth we want. We may not get everything that we're hoping to get in this life. But we do know that Jesus Christ has secured victory for us over death, over sin, over Satan. And those victories are even far greater than the ones that he gave David. And so as we finish up, let's just take this all back around to Jesus Christ. I think this is legitimate. David came bearing gifts as a Messiah-like figure. David, when he was obedient to God, was a type of, of... a savior figure that reflected what Jesus would one day do. Of course, very imperfectly, right? But one day there would come one who would get total victory and bring even more wonderful gifts the gift bearing Messiah, the gift of eternal life, the gift of relationship restored with God. And he will be even a greater blessing to God's people. And even David could be in these circumstances. But let's remember our Savior and these pictures that David points us to of what we have in Jesus Christ. Let's depend on God. Let's thank Him for what He's doing in our lives, and let's ask Him for help, knowing and expecting that He will do that, He will work, that He will act, and we can do that.